I want to read three significant lines from the uh, hymn book of the Bible, which is the book of Psalms. Uh, I uh, probably, like many of you, love reading the Psalms, especially there, there are days when you just need to read the Psalms. The Psalms are a collection of all kinds of, of uh, thoughts about our relationship with God. There are songs of uh, uh, inspiration, and there are sometimes songs of desperation, but uh, they're all filled there with, with great insight. And I want to read a, a Psalm, Psalm 51 in just a moment, three great lines. But before I do so, I want to ask you a question. What, what, is, what makes the difference between a person who seems to be uh, victorious and a person who seems to be a victim? What, what makes the difference between a person who seems to uh, be encouraging and a person who seems to be discouraging? Now, here's, here's, a, here's a question that we could all probably respond to. What makes the difference between a dull and dying church and a dynamic and living church? What makes the difference? That important question impacts all of us because the answer to the question is uh, the answer that we all need. And the answer is the presence of the Holy Spirit. You can have all of the organization you want. I have, uh, I have participated in strategy meetings, vision casting meetings, writing out my mission, trying to figure out where I should go. I've put together uh, goals I've put together all kinds of things in my life to, to make me a better leader. But if the presence of the Holy Spirit is missing, then all of that really doesn't work out too well. Now, there's, there are some of us in the service this morning who feel like giving up. You know, uh, if you were at a marathon, you've run about 100 yards and you say, forget it, I'm not doing this. There's, there's a man here this morning who feels like giving up on his marriage. There's a woman who feels like giving up on her children. There's a, a, an employer who feels like giving up on your business. There's an educator who feels like giving up their career. There are someone here this morning who feels like just giving up on life, period. What I'm going to say to you in the next few moments is key to turning that feeling of giving up and taking a step up with the Lord. Listen to these words from uh, Psalm 51. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation. Everybody say joy. joy. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Now that's a verse that I'd like you to get into your spirit and perhaps memorize. I memorized it in a, in a different version and so I have to read it sometimes to make sure I get the right words, but the theme is still there. Created me a clean heart. When I fly now, I, uh, and I, in this role that Joy and I have, my Joy right here in the front row with the Bible open when she closes it, that means the sermon is over. Um, we fly it quite a bit, and you're all looking to watch her now. Come on. Eyes up here. 
Um, we've, we travel quite a bit and we, we fly more than ever. And, and recently, I was flying back in on my own. I like to sit by the window. I, I used to sit in the aisle, but I like sitting by the window. I guess by sitting by the window, if there's turbulence, I can tell the pilot what to do. I, I don't know what it is, but there's just something I like to look out the window and see what's going on and to be in control, I guess. But I was sitting by the window, and this particular approach to uh, PDX or Portland International was coming in from the east, going right through the gorge, the Columbia Gorge, which has to be, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful places in the world, really, honestly. There are different vantage points of that gorge, but certain places, you just have to say, this is the most spectacular thing God has ever done right here in Oregon. It's better than the Grand Canyon. It's better than Venice. It's better than wherever. This is beautiful. And uh, as we were flying in, I, I could kind of time things. And I have been on the left side of the plane and seen Mount Hood, but I was on the right side of the plane, and I looked down on the Columbia River, and I'm not kidding you, there were nearly 100 windsurfers near Hood River windsurfing. It was an unbelievable, I mean, I had to take a second look and I began to try to count. It was, there were so many. There had to be at least 100 windsurfers out there on the water. And then I remembered, Hood River, Oregon is the second most attractive destination for windsurfers in the world. Windsurfers come from all over the world to windsurf there in Hood River. And in fact, a friend of mine who lives there tells me the population just explodes during that season of time when the surfers all show up and business goes up and it's quite an adventure. Some of you perhaps here have been out on that uh, windsurfing uh, Columbia and you can speak from experience. Why do thousands of people come to windsurf in Hood River, Oregon on the Columbia? One reason, one reason only, the wind. Without the wind, there's no wind surfing. Does that make sense? Isn't that a great revelation? <laughs> like you could write that down and when you get home say, man, wasn't that powerful when Pastor Bill said, without the wind, there's no wind surfing? That just touched my heart. I'm never giving up again. I'm not going to quit because without the wind, there's no wind surfing. Wow, that was an insight I never thought about before. Without the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing through your life, you are not going to reach the destination that God intended you to reach. It will be very, very difficult. It will be almost impossible to be the man God wants you to be. It will be very difficult, almost impossible to be the woman that God intended you to be. It will be almost impossible to accomplish what God intended you to accomplish. It's a dangerous place to be without the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing through our personal lives. And certainly, you could all agree with me, it is almost impossible, if not impossible, for a church to gather and accomplish anything of any significance without the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing through that church. And so, the psalmist says... Create in me a clean heart or a pure heart, O God. And then he says, take not your presence from me. The absence, 
The absence of the presence of the Holy Spirit is a dangerous place to be. The word for wind in the scriptures in the old language is raka, raka, which means the breath or the wind of God, or as some theologians refer to it as the very presence of God. Psalm 51 is a prayer. It's a prayer from a man who is very well known, who had accomplished a lot of things, and in fact, people who don't even read the Bible, you mention his name, they all know his stories, or some of them at least. Movies have been made about him. Statues have been created to reflect his manlyhood. This, this young man in his youth was able to accomplish tasks that none of us in this room could do. He was, he was able to defeat armies with just one or two helpers. He became a, a mighty man of God, and he became the second king of Israel. His name was David. He actually penned this psalm that we're reading, like many of those that you read in the psalms. This one, however, stands out because it's, it's a prayer. If you read through this, it's a prayer from David's heart. David was going along, doing really well with the blessing and smile of God, the presence of God in his life, and it's unthinkable how it could happen, but he did. He allowed himself to step out of the will of God, and he moved away from God's plan, and he had a misstep, a transgression, a sin against God, and the presence and the blessing of God lifted from his life, and you know what he did? He tried to cover it. He covered it. The book of Proverbs writes, his son would later write these words under the inspiration of God, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. And David is an example of a man of God who's allowed the presence of God to lift from his life, his, the favor of God, the smile of God in his life, because of a transgression against God and because of sin. The wind of God lifted from his life. Now, Let's say this is your life, and a sailboat, unlike a motorized boat, needs what? To move. You guys are sharp. <laughs> Much better than the first service, I got to tell you. So it, it was the wind, the wind. And so there's a word that we don't use much in our vocabulary, but it, uh, the English use it a lot, and uh, it's, it's a word that talks about the wind. It's a nautical term. It's called the doldrums. The doldrums. The doldrums mean that a, a, a wind-driven vessel out in the water, when there is no wind, it's dead in the water. Now, I know your 400-horse uh, engine on your, your, uh, your boat, you say, well, if we have no fuel, we are dead in the water. In, in a wind vessel, no wind, and you're dead in the water. They called it the doldrums. That is the, that is the, uh, the problem, that is the danger that we fall into when we try to live our lives without the wind or the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's a dangerous place to be, and this is where David was in his life. Without the wind, without the presence of the Holy Spirit, you're dead in the water. You become to, you, you stagnate, you become desperate, uh, dejected. That, those feelings of give up that I talked about earlier or quitting, 
bad decisions are made, you live in despair, you become sour on life, everything is negative, you say, how could that happen? How could it happen to a person? It's because the wind of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Spirit is missing in their lives. But when you discover the value of the wind of the presence of the Holy Spirit, things begin to change. And so he says, create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So God loves David so much and he loves you so much that he comes to him through a man of God who confronts him with his sin. That sin that he had covered and had, a, had its effects on his life. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the story is listed there. And this is the prayer that comes out of that 2 Samuel chapter 12. When Nathan the prophet or the man of God comes to David and explains to him what he's done. And David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And he prays this prayer. And Nathan says, in 2 Samuel 12, 13, the Lord has taken away your sin. Amen. Aren't you glad for that? Because that's my testimony. The Lord has taken away my sin. That's your testimony this morning. If you've confessed your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sin, 1 John 9 says. And when we confess our sin as David did, he turns our sorrow into singing. He, he, his presence comes back into our lives and the wind of the Holy Spirit starts to move us in the direction that God intended us to move. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in the doldrums. I, I don't want to be dead in the water. I, I've, had, I've made enough errors in my life and tried to do things on my own without the presence of God in my heart and in my life, that I've decided that I don't want to live that way. How about you? I don't want to go to another church and sit in a service and wish God had showed up and walk out and get in my car and say, I wonder where God was on Sunday. He must have skipped. He must have gone fishing. He must have done something because the presence of the Lord was... I'm grateful that I can come to Horizon and many of our churches Sunday after Sunday and I can... And I can say the presence of the Lord is in this place. We've invited him here today. And have you invited him into your life? My father-in-law grew up in Wales. Uh, he, he was about pushing 5'6 on a good day. He was Welshman through and through. And in Wales, in his youth, the normal thing was to work in the coal mines to work a, a mile down into the ground and bring out coal. That was the culture. It made them tough. It made them determined. And God spoke into Handel's life, is his name, Handel Price, and it brought a change in his life, and he surrendered his life to the Lord. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and God called him to be a minister. And in the early days, he was a remarkable, remarkable communicator, but in the early days, he had to take a job to support his family. And for a season of time in his youth, as a young man serving God, he worked for the Ford Motor Company of Great Britain. 
He was working in the office when one of the uh, executives asked him to carry to another office in the assembly plant uh, document. And so he was walking through the machine shop. And as he was walking through the machine shop, there were machines going and there was all kinds of activity and the sounds were loud and men were working and diligent at their jobs. And God had been speaking to him about learning to practice the presence, the wind of the Holy Spirit in his life. And God spoke to him and said, I want you to say, praise the Lord. And Handel said, well, Lord, I'm at work. He said, I want you to say, praise the Lord. And so Handel, in his own way, just quietly said, praise the Lord. The Lord said, no, I want you to say it out loud. And he said, well, Lord, I am at work, and I don't want to say it out loud. Now, strong-willed people have arguments with God, right? But you never win. And finally, after a few moments, and he's walking through the machine shop, he decides to obey the Lord, and he says in a loud voice, well, praise the Lord. And what happened next would change history for that season of time in the Ford Motor Company. When you start practicing the presence of God in your life, things begin to happen. When you allow the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow the sails of your life, you begin to make progress. And when you thought you were ready to give up, something comes within you that says, no, I'm not going to give up. I am going to move with God. So what are those things that we discover in our lives that take place when the wind of the Holy Spirit is blowing? When the presence of God moves into our lives? First of all, I want to suggest this morning I want to give you three great words, great Bible words, words that perhaps we don't use all the time, but they have great significance. So write down in your notes, you will be sanctified. You will be sanctified. The word sanctification is a Bible word. It's not one that you go to, hey, have you been sanctified lately? It's not one of those words that you use at, the, at, at Starbucks when you're ordering a coffee. Sanctification means a clear evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence, and it actually means to be set apart for God's purposes. All of the sudden, when the Holy Spirit's presence blows into your life and He is there, God says, I have a better purpose and a plan for your life than you have for yourself. And this is the work of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because in your own efforts and energy and your own determination, oftentimes you hit lids or you find yourself frustrated because you're in the doldrums you're not going anywhere. But the presence of God comes along and says, listen, you let me sanctify you. In other words, you let me set you apart. Let me begin to shape your life to be meaningful, to accomplish what I intended you to accomplish in the first place. Let me repair, let me restore, let me redeem you to the place that God intended you to be. And let me use you. For the purpose of fashioning you in, in Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. Because that's God's number one goal for your life. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 reads, It is God's will that you should be sanctified. So if this is God's will, sometimes people say, I read the Bible, I never figure out what God really wants me to do. Do I buy a green car or a red car? Well, I don't know. Sometimes buy one that has two tones. I don't know. But it is God's will that you should be sanctified. That's clear, right? That's what God's will is. 
He wants to set you apart to make you in his image and to be a spectacular example of his love. The writer in Hebrews 12, 14 says, make every effort to live in peace with all men. Now, the only way you can do this and to be holy, the only way you can do this is God's spirit. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Absolutely right. We'll never see God without the presence of the Holy Spirit sanctifying us or cleaning us up, setting us apart. This is what God requires of us, and it requires cooperation on our part to say, yes, Lord, I will do this. And when you catch the wind of the Holy Spirit blowing through your life in the presence of God, he begins to do marvelous things. Now, the second word is sealed. It will be, you will be sealed. You will be sealed. That's not a word that we use a lot, but look at verse 10. Another renew uh, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The word sealed actually means to be, uh, have assurance, to have assurance. Have a deep, settled confidence, steadfastness, steadfast spirit, a, a deep, settled confidence or assurance that I belong to the Lord and that his presence in my life reassures that. Because I want to just tell you something. There won't, be a, there won't be a week that goes by, and you can expect this this week, where there is a voice that comes and says, God doesn't really like you as much as he likes her. God doesn't really care about you as much as he cares about him. Their family has got it all together, and your family is a mess, and God doesn't care. There's that voice that says, you know, you really are not up to standard of what God intends you to be, and so you might as well give up and forget all about it. But there's this sealedness, this assurance, this indication by the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life that you belong to him. Now, I wish you could have been at our wedding. It was spectacular. All I remember is saying, I do. And at that wedding, we walked in and it was just amazing. We got married, Joy and I got married 42 years ago in Oakland, California. And we were married by three pastors, Joy's dad, my dad, and the pastor of the church, Paul Schock. He was quite a man of God. So in the ceremony, you know, he goes there, there's music, and then they go through, you know, uh, uh, several little things, and then they come to the questions. Remember the questions? How many of you have been in a uh, wedding? Remember the questions? Will you? Will you? And the groom's trying to remember now, what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to say? So you go through the I do's and all this, and you say, I do. Yes, yes, I'll do it. Yeah, whatever she says. Yeah, whatever. Okay, so (laughs) I will. So that's a good decision. And then they say, and, and what token do you have to, uh, to uh, express your commitment in these vows? So I pulled out a rubber band. Now, I just want you to know, you don't know my wife real well. The rubber band doesn't work. It just doesn't work. This is not what she was looking for. So in all truthfulness, I pulled out this huge, huge diamond. I'm sure you're going to have to close your eyes because it is so big that the light will reflect off of it, and you'll be shocked that I could have even afforded anything of that size. Now, trust me, there is a diamond right there in the middle. Can you see it? Just as I pointed out, maybe the camera could zero in on it. There is actually a, a small diamond there. It cost me everything. I, it took me a year to pay it off. I just want you to know that tells you how rich I was when we got married. There was a diamond. And I took this ring and I put it on her finger. As I said, this is a sign. This is a, a token. This is a, an expression of the commitment that I am making. We are sealing this deal right now. This says that we are committed to each other, right? We're sealed. We're committed to, this tells everybody, 
we're, we're committed. This, this piece of expensive jewelry that we bought in San, Lea- San Leandro, uh, California, when the guy said, how are you going to pay for it? And I, I didn't know. So this is, the, this is the first credit I ever took out in my entire life for this expensive ring. And uh, I, when I put that on her ring finger, this said, not only we're making a commitment to each other, not only is everybody going to see that she's married, but uh, we're telling all of your old boyfriends, knock it off, it's, it's done. She's taken. No more flowers, no more candy, no more uh, calls, no more contact. She's taken. She has a ring on her finger. We sealed the deal. And when the Lord came into your life, he sealed the deal with the Holy Spirit. That is what happens when the presence of God is there. There's no question about it. And even though the enemy will try to say, well, you didn't really mean it when Pastor Stan led that prayer a couple of months ago. You know, you don't act like a Christian. You don't live like a Christian. Listen, if you will allow the presence of God to come into your life, he will seal the deal. You belong to him. Now, the third word is strength. Strength. And there's a couple of verses perhaps that I passed by that you could look at that talk about being sealed. But for time, since the timer is off and there's no time left. I actually think I got about an hour left, don't I? Okay. (laughs) The third thing, you will be strengthened by the wind or the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, you're going to need this. (laughs) I'm going to need it this week. We've got our three grandchildren for 12 days. I'm just going to tell you right now. We are going to need added strength. Added strength. In fact, Luke, stand up. Let everybody see what i got to deal with. Okay, right there. Good-looking guy. Handsome kid, 12 years old, going on 13, seventh grade. A list of girls that want to date him when he gets 16. I just, uh, just terrific. Look at verse 12. Restore to me, everybody say that. Restore to me the joy of of your salvation. One version says this, the joy of my salvation. It's actually God's salvation to me. Salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Now here's the deal. When the wind is blowing, the presence of God is in your life. You are strengthened to make momentum and to accomplish that which you could not accomplish on your own. I'm telling you right now, I'm, just, I'm being as honest as I possibly can. Without the wind or the presence of the Holy Spirit, you can try a lot of stuff. And you may succeed a little bit, but you'll never succeed in what God intended you to succeed in without the presence of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense this morning? Do you remember the boat now? You got that? So Earl, a good friend of mine, Earl, state patrolman. You know, about six foot one, typical, maybe 200 pounds. Captain in the state patrol. He was responsible for a region of the state that was uh, more of a rural part, which meant that when he's on the road at night, in the middle of the night, he probably has no backup support whatsoever within 30 minutes, which means if he gets into a crisis of any kind and he gets on the, on the, on the, the, uh, uh, the phone or on the, uh, the, what do they call them, uh, the radio, That's a real brilliant thought. Okay, the radio, okay. Some things are so deep, it takes me a while to catch them. So the radio. And he says, uh, backup requested. 
and gives a number and shows where he, he's got to wait probably 30 minutes, perhaps more, depending on the rural place he's in. So he tells me, he says, Pastor Bill, I got to tell you this. I'm out on the road. It's like two o'clock in the morning and I'm following a drunk driver. He's all over the road, and I have, you know, I've got to pull him over, so I pulled him over. I know I'm out in the middle of nowhere by myself. I, I report where my location is, that I'm pulling over a car. I give the license plate, and he said, I, before I can get out of the car, the guy gets out of the driver gets out. I tell him to get back in his car. He doesn't, and the guy's not a little guy. He's a big guy. He's, you know, it's apparent that he's, he's drunk and, uh, you know, intoxicated, he shouldn't be driving. He should be on the road. And so I've got to confront him. So I, I, I tell him to stop right where he is. I get out of the car. And I realize I've got to cuff this guy and put him in my car. The guy is using every foul word you can imagine. He's belligerent. He's disrespectful. He has, he, he's ready to take me on. In fact, I got this feeling that he's ready to kill me. So I'm standing there. And I know... When I go out, my wife and I, we get together, we pray. This is a rough, rough job to take on, at, especially at this hour. And he said, I'm not afraid of stuff, but he said, I actually was afraid. But then I remembered the presence of God. And he said, out of my lips came these words. Sir, stop right where you are. I want you to know that I'm not alone. And the man immediately stopped. He said, I've never seen anything like it. He looked over my shoulder. His eyes got as big as saucers. He stuck out his hands like this, shaking and trembling. He said, cuff me. Get me out of here now. He said, I don't know what he saw. But I suspect he saw the dynamic presence of God standing on the right of my shoulder. He complied, got into the back of the car, and never said one word. He shook all the way to jail. Now, friends, there are moments that might not be quite as dramatic for you like that. But there are times in your marriage when you say, I need the strength to figure this out. There are times in your life when you say, I need the strength to figure this out. And God says, you're not alone. There are moments when you may feel lonely. There are moments when you feel overwhelmed. There are moments when you don't have a song in your heart and the Holy Spirit says to you, listen, you're not alone. I'm still blowing the wind through your life with God's presence. And when that happens, he gives you strength. I'm telling you from personal experience, he sustains you through stuff you never thought you could get through. So the, the, the psalmist says, he says, create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing, a willing, a willing spirit to sustain When Handel, standing there in the factory of Ford Motor Company, Great Britain, shouted out, praise the Lord. He had no idea what God was going to do. As he shouted it, a man from one of the machines stepped out and said, 
What did you say? He said, well, praise the Lord. He said, what church do you go to? And Handel told him. He said, meet me at machine 43 at noon. Handel went to do his business and with the, uh, the courier uh, responsibility that he had. And at noon, he went down to the machine 43. And there was a small group of men, about four or five. And they said, we've been praying for somebody who could lead us. You're working in the office there. We didn't know that there were any believers in the office. And you said, praise the Lord today. Would, would you lead us in a Bible study? And that Bible study took off. It began to grow. And then they said, what can we do to make an impact in our community and in our, our, our company and, and in our region? And they had heard that Billy Graham had come to London, England. And they said, Handel, we want you to get Billy Graham to come here to Wales. And Handel said, what? <laughs> you can get it done. You're Welch. And so... He got, a hold, he, he got a hold of them, found out that it would, it would be expensive to get everybody to bring the team and all that. So he walked, marched into the, the, the management of Ford Motor Company, Great Britain, and he said, uh, we're leading a little prayer group here and a Bible study for the company. It's making a great impact. And they said, we've noticed that men are starting to work differently and their attitudes have changed. And he said, what can we do for you? We'd like to bring Billy Graham. It's going to cost so much money. He said, how much do you need? And he said the, the president of the company pulled out a checkbook and wrote a check for the entire amount to cover Billy Graham coming. And as a result of him coming to that area, hundreds and thousands of people were touched by the power of God. And in that season of time, there was a spiritual awakening and revival, all because a man was willing to let the wind of the Holy Spirit blow into his life. And he said, praise the Lord out loud. Now, is that complicated or what? I wonder what would happen in your family if you all got in a circle and said, okay, rather than arguing, let's pray together. I wonder what would happen if you got, walked into work and said to the, the receptionist, well, praise the Lord. I wonder what would happen in conversations with atheists and agnostics, as I had one yesterday, who have no time for God, but you're witnessing the presence of God in your life and they're seeing it, and they're saying, you know, I don't even know if I believe in God, but something's different. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. When you walked into this service this morning and began to hear the music, whether you knew the song or not, the presence of God began to move across this place. And he's doing things in people's lives that we cannot see with the natural eye. And you say, how does that happen? It's the presence of the Holy Spirit.